You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to Martyrs and Missionaries. I'm Elise, and every episode I'll bring you a new martyr and or missionary, the called and the brave. In this episode, we're going to talk about the first missionaries to Japan and the resulting persecution. the next two weeks, we're going to do something a little bit different. So instead of taking you through the life of a specific martyr or a specific missionary, we're going to talk about the spread of Christianity in Japan, which occurred in two waves. This week, we'll cover the arrival of the Jesuits in the 16th century, and next week, we'll cover the arrival of the Protestants in the 19th century. In the 1500s, Japan didn't have a centralized government. It was mostly warlords competing in different regions, and each warlord maintained a group of samurai who defended them against rivals. In the 1500s, Portugal was doing really well. Their empire began in 1415, and it didn't end until the return of Macau to China in 1999. So it is actually the oldest and first colonial power. We usually forget about Portugal, but they were excellent navigators and found a way to India, making trade far more accessible, established multiple trading posts in Africa and Europe. They were seen as an important trading ally. Hence why it was important to get along with the Jesuits, who began arriving in 1549 with their first missionary, Francis Xavier. The Jesuits were a fairly new order when they arrived in Japan. They were established in 1534 in Paris, and they were heavily involved in missions, very practical and strong-willed. They did both good and bad, even coming to blows with the Vatican itself several times, most recently over their embrace of liberation theology. But since this is not an episode about the ins and outs of the Jesuit order, we'll leave it at that. Francis Xavier was one of the original seven of the Jesuit order, and he was sent out by the Pope and the King to restore Christian order among the Portuguese merchants, who were mostly scooped up from jails and sent out to sail for Portugal. He also spends time in Malaysia, which is where he meets a young Japanese guy named Anjiro. Now, Anjiro was a Buddhist samurai who killed a guy in a brawl, and he was on the run. He was told about Xavier by a Portuguese captain, and he waits two years to meet him, and when he meets him, he tells him all about Japan. Soon after, Xavier writes to the king and he says, God has put it into my heart to go to the islands of Japan and spread their holy faith. If all the Japanese are as keen to learn as Anjiro, they must have the most inquiring minds of any people in the lands yet discovered. Soon after, Anjiro converts to Catholicism and he goes with Xavier and a few other missionaries and serves as their interpreter. And when they arrive, the Japanese are very excited because they think that since they came from India, the birthplace of Buddhism, they have more about Buddha to teach them. And Anjiro isn't the greatest translator, and so he mistranslates Jesus as a well-known Buddhist deity, the Buddhist sun god. The feudal lords in Kagoshima, which is where they landed, gladly accept their religion as a new branch of Buddhism. And it takes Xavier two years to figure out what happened. 
So he changes the wording he's been using from Dionysi to Deus, which means God in Latin. And he explains to them that Deus is good, Dionysi, not so good. And it makes all the monks very angry. And the feudal lords end up outlawing Christianity in the area. Now, after Xavier leaves, it seems that Anjiro gives up the faith due to persecution and decides to be a pirate, dying in the process. But while Francis Xavier is there, he realizes that monkish poverty goes over really well in India, but not so much in Japan, and Xavier learns that being someone important will get him a lot further. He thinks that if he can go to the emperor, then Christianity can spread from the top down, which is a proven method in other parts of the world and a well-worn practice of the Catholic Church, although Xavier himself did not employ it in his own missions work. So he goes to the emperor of Japan as the emissary of the Catholic Church to Japan, and he had tried to get an audience with him before, but because he looked poverty-stricken and disheveled, he was denied. But this time he was received warmly. But he also realizes that because of all the Civil War feudal fighting going on, the emperor has no real power. Very soon after, he's recalled back to India to be sent on mission to China, but he never makes it to China, dying off the coast from a fever in 1552. By the time he leaves, over 2,000 people have converted to Christianity. And after he leaves, a ton of Jesuits, along with a couple other orders, come pouring in and Christianity flourishes, particularly in Nagasaki. At the zenith of Christian conversion during the time period, the city had over 500,000 believers, including many nobles. As time goes on, colonial influence in the region grows, and the emperor decides he doesn't like Christianity, so he makes moves to ban it in the late 1560s. But it has no actual effect. Years later, one of the feudal lords, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, had risen above the rest and was attempting to unify Japan. And he was very wary of Christianity, as he believed it was a gateway to eventual takeover by a colonial power. And he makes edicts further banning Christianity in 1587. Missionaries and Christians defied his edict and still operated, albeit a little bit more undercover. That is until 1596, when the San Felipe incident happened. A Spanish ship had wrecked off the coast of Japan. And I'm not going to get into all the random details, not important. But basically, the captain of the ship told Hideyoshi that the way colonial powers operate is to bring in missionaries first, soften up the people, get them to accept Christianity, and then take them over. This confirmed all of Hideyoshi's worst fears, and a new round of persecution begins. Hideyoshi immediately orders the roundup of Christians in Kyoto, which results in 24 Christians, made up of Franciscan missionaries, regular Japanese Christians, and a few Jesuits, including a young Japanese Jesuit named Paul Mickey. They were marched in the snow over 600 miles to Nagasaki to make a statement to Christians there. As I mentioned earlier, Nagasaki was kind of the birthplace of Christianity in Japan. And as they were being marched down, two boys joined up on the way there, making the total 26. And when they arrived, they were crucified on a hill overlooking Nagasaki. Over 4,000 Christians looked on, weeping and praying, including the mother of one of the boys, who was only 13 years old. She sat at the bottom of his cross. Paul Mickey, the young Japanese Jesuit, delivered his last sermon from his cross, encouraging the onlookers. All you who are here, please listen to me. I have committed no crime, and the only reason I am put to death is that I have been teaching the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am very happy to die for such a cause, and I see my death as a great blessing from the Lord. At this critical time when you can rest assured that I will not try to deceive you, I want to stress and make it unmistakably clear that man can find no way to salvation other than the Christian way. The Christian religion tells us to forgive our enemies and those who do us harm. And so I say that I forgive the emperor and those responsible for my death. I have no hatred for the emperor. Indeed, I wish that he and all the Japanese will become Christians. After this, Hideyoshi ramped up the persecution tenfold and ordered all the Jesuits out of Japan. So they rounded up a bunch of ordinary Portuguese citizens, dressed them in Jesuit garb, put them on a ship, and continued their ministry. 
1615, the Tokugawa shogunate, who ruled Japan from 1603 to 1867, kicked out all the missionaries. Many stayed behind. A few years later, 56 Christians, both missionaries and lay people, were rounded up and taken to Nagasaki, where they were beheaded or burned alive. Their bodies were burned to ash and thrown into the sea to keep Christians from gathering up the remains to make relics. Other Christians were taken to hot springs and boiled alive. Before long, the Japanese decided that instead of killing the Christians outright, they would devise ways to torture them into recanting. One of the ways they did this was to hang them upside down over pits of excrement, creating slits in their temples to give the pressure a place to escape. They would bleed them out this way. And they became very good at detecting when someone was close to the brink of death, and they would nurse them back to health before torturing them again. One of the most successful things the Japanese did in curb-stomping Christianity was the invention of the fumaye. The fumaye was a thick plate made of bronze, stone, or even wood, which depicted Mary or Jesus. This became a test of faith for Christians. Once a year, everyone throughout Japan, no matter what age or physical health, was required to step on the fumaye. If you didn't, you were taken and tortured. Now, interestingly enough, one group that had no problem with this was the Dutch. And they had been slowly taking over the Portuguese ports for a while now and stood a lot to gain from being the only Protestant colonial power. They claimed that since it was just an image, what did it really matter? Famous author Jonathan Swift had a real problem with the Dutch in this regard. He was Anglican and not Catholic, but he maintained that they knew what they were doing, and he satirized them in Gulliver's travels when Gulliver lands in Japan. He requests, with the backing of the King of Lugnog, that he be excused from the test, despite claiming to be Dutch himself. He reports that the Emperor of Japan was a little surprised at this, as I was the first of my countrymen to make a scruple of the point, and he began to doubt that I was a real Hollander, but suspected that I might be a Christian. And even more to their shame, they helped the Japanese quell a Christian uprising, a last stand against the persecution they were enduring, thereby securing the trust of the Tokugawa shogunate and their continued trading relationship. The Fumaya, more than anything else, sealed the fate of the Christians in Japan. They had no one to guide them in their faith, as all their missionaries had been sent away or killed, and they had been persecuted for almost as long as they had been free to practice. Many of them decided it was better to step on the Fumaya and then beg for forgiveness and they became known as the Hidden Christians. This continued for another 250 years until Japan opened back up to the West again in 1858 at the behest of American Commodore Matthew Perry. In 1873, Japan officially lifted its ban on Christianity, and 30,000 Hidden Christians emerged. The Christian world rejoiced, seeing it as a win for Christendom everywhere. But is it? Next week, we'll cover the emergence of the hidden Christians and the second wave of missionaries that are sent to Japan during the Meiji Restoration until the rise of Imperial Japan. Martyrs and Missionaries finally has a bookmark and a sticker, and they're both pretty awesome. How do you get them? You become a patron with us on Patreon, and when you sign up, you'll get signed bookmarks from both Martyrs and Missionaries, as well as Revived Thoughts and stickers from both as well. And you'll also receive a link to our premium feeds so you can listen ad-free to all of our content. We'll also have some merch going on the pipe here soon, so hang tight for that. And as always, thank you for listening to Martyrs and Missionaries. I'm Elise. When you need 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.